Well, if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to uh, John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And we're going to be picking it up in verse 4, but you can hold your finger there for a moment. Um, Over the past two weeks, we've actually been talking about a heart for the house, what it looks like to genuinely have a heart for the house. We've learned that God is building a house. He's building a people. He's building a church. Here at OSC, we're all about reaching people, building lives. Um, And so for the past two weeks, Pastor Josh has done a a good job at putting all that together. But there's still one question that remains is, we know that we're called to reach people. We know that we're called to build lives. And we know that we, the people, are the church. But how do we get there? How do we reach people? How do we have a heart and a passion to build lives? Because ultimately, everything that we know and everything that we hear, even on Sundays and the things that we learn while we read Scripture, it can be head knowledge. But the question is, how do we do that? So for the next four weeks, we're going to lay out how we fulfill God's vision, how we have a heart for the house. And it begins with connecting with Christ. Here at OSC, we have four things that we believe in. Connect with Christ, grow with others, serve on mission, and go make disciples. And the first one, it starts with connecting with Christ. You can never reach people and you can never build lives if you are not passionate about connecting with Jesus. So I want to start this morning off by asking you a question. And the question is this. What is the one thing that God desires that only you can give? What is the one thing that God desires that only you can give? The answer is simply your worship. God desires your worship. And it's not just something that we do when we sing songs and we lift our hands and we worship and we sing along. God desires our worship. When we talk about connecting with Christ, we are talking about what we worship, what we give our time to, what we give, um, what we're passionate about, what our heart and our affections are giving towards. That is what we worship. You and I were created to worship. We're created to worship in John 4. We're going to read it later on throughout the sermon. But it says God is seeking people that are worshiping him. God is seeking worshipers. So the question that I pose to you this morning is this. What is it that you're worshiping? What is it that you're worshiping? Because ultimately, we can find ourselves in two different things. We're ultimately worshiping Christ or we're worshiping someone or something other than Jesus. So we're going to pick it up in John chapter 4, verse 4. And I love this story. And we're going to pretty much read the whole thing. But in verse 4, it says this. And he had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a, he had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, "Give me drink." Now, the thing that you have to understand about this text and what is going on right now is something very peculiar. This woman at the sixth hour, what that means in scripture is telling us that it's about 12 o'clock noon. If you know anything about when it's about 12 o'clock noon, the sun is pretty much as high as it possibly can be. If you're planning on doing any work in your yard or any work that day, you don't do it at 12 o'clock. Because you are going to get scorched and the the sun is just going to beat you down. So it's very odd that this woman is at the well at 12 o'clock because women back then, they would go to get water very early in the morning because it was cool. 
it didn't take a lot of energy, and they would have to haul like bucket loads of water because they needed it to to bathe, they needed it to drink, they needed to do all sorts of things. So the obvious thing to do was not do it in the sun, and then you also needed it for the rest of the day, so you would do it in the morning. So we see something very odd. She's at the well at a time that she shouldn't be. Women did not go at the well at noon. So the question is, why was she there? Why was she at the well at 12 o'clock noon? We find out later in the passage, and we'll get to it later in the sermon, but she is there because she's trying to hide something. She's there because she does not want to face other women at the well, because if you go at 6 or 7 in the morning, there's a bunch of people drawing from that well. So she's there because she's trying to seclude herself. She has a past that she's not too proud of. And so for her to go and surround herself by people that may know her, it would just not be a place that would remind her of such things. She doesn't want to be there. So moving on in uh, verse 8, it says this, For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So we also find out that Jews and Samaritans, there's this this racial, racial tension going on. They do not like each other. And so the very fact that Jesus, who is a male, is talking to a woman is something that shouldn't be happening altogether. And then going beyond that, she's a woman and she's a Samaritan. So Jesus should not be talking to her. The crazy, I found this out. The crazy thing is Jewish men used to pray to God every single morning and be thankful, one, that they weren't a woman, and then two, that they weren't a Samaritan. So thank God, it's not like that in our culture today, right? But back then, and back then, if you were a woman and you were Samaritan, you were highly looked down upon. And so the very fact that Jesus is even having a conversation with her, the very fact that he says, can you give me something to drink? is astounding. Because if any other Jew would have been up there, they would have highly criticized Jesus and probably ostracized him because he was doing something that was not seen as right in their culture. So let's move on in in verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you the living water. The woman said to him, Sir, I have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, and this is important, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So what is Jesus saying when he says, if you knew who was asking you for water, you'd be asking me. He's saying, if you knew who I was, if you knew that I was Jesus, you'd be asking me for a drink. Because I'm, I'm the living water. Now what is Jesus trying to do in this passage? What do we pull out of this? He's trying to get this woman to understand that that well is flawed. Meaning 
that she's going to have to go back to it and satisfy her thirst every single day. She's going to have to go back every single day because why? You get thirsty every day. You got to take a bath every day. Hopefully you take a bath. You need water every single day. So he's trying to tell her, listen, I am living water. I am peace. I am joy. I am hope. I am love. And if you can understand that that is what I am, then you'll never thirst again. He's not talking about something physically. He's talking about something spiritually. Jesus wants her to know that there is a flaw in the well. So what I want to do really quick is talk about some barriers that keep us from connecting to Christ. Because we see this in the woman of the well. And Jesus, you see between the woman and you see between Jesus, there's this barrier. She's not really connecting with him. And we haven't read further along to find out why, but there is something going on. There's something that is keeping her from connecting with Jesus. And the, one, the first one that I want to highlight is this. We're drinking from the wrong well. We're drinking from the wrong well. And what I want to do really quick is highlight three things that in our culture that we tend to drink from that leave us wanting and that leave us not being able to connect with Christ. The first one is this. The first one that keeps us and is a barrier from connecting with Christ is money. I'll be honest with you. Um, new stuff is nice. I like new stuff. Um, it, it's almost intoxicating sometimes. It's almost like you can get a high off of new stuff. You know, like when you go shopping or you finally get that gadget that you want and you bring it home and you're all excited about it. And it, and it kind of gives you like this high, like, oh my God. And then like three days later, you need something else because it's completely worn off. The problem is what becomes new becomes old very quickly. It becomes old really quickly. We go from new thing to new thing. The problem with money and new things is it's almost like drinking sand. It's never satisfying. It's never satisfying. The thing that I find a lot of times about money is this. And one thing that I'm learning very, as of very recently is we can sit up here and we can talk about how money can be a barrier and it, can, and, and it can keep us and all those things are true. But the thing that I find with money is this, that a lot of people don't talk about is that money for most of us is security. Money is security, right? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna touch on two different things because I think it can be talked about two different ways. Is if you have a lot of money, and you have money in the bank and you have money in the savings. It can be your security. Something goes wrong, crisis happens. Um, you lose your job or the economy falls or something happens. And you don't really have to turn to Christ. You can just turn to your bank account and this will last for a while. So I don't have to put my hope in Jesus. But then there's the flip side. Let's say you don't have a lot of money. Let's say you're like, I don't have a savings account. The flip side is this, that, well, I don't have any money, so when I get money, then I'll be all right. When that check comes in or when that thing comes in, then I'll be okay. So it can be security on both ways, and ultimately it ends up being a barrier from us being able to connect with Christ because of this. That ultimately, instead of looking to Christ in times of trouble, in times of need where we really need him, we can say, if I only had this, then I'd be okay. Or I already have this, so you know what? I'm okay. 
In other words, we find out, we all know the story of Job, right? Job loses everything and finds out that Jesus is enough. He loses absolutely everything. And flip side, Solomon, he gains everything and finds out Jesus is enough. It it works both ways. So the question that I've asked myself lately is this. If you lived in the same house, you drove the same car the rest of your life, would you be okay? It's Jesus. Just Jesus. Is he enough? You know what? I had to answer that question a few weeks ago, and I would honestly say no. I wasn't content with where I was. Because ultimately, the way that money becomes a barrier is we always need more or we don't have enough. So in the end, Jesus is not enough. Just Jesus, just a connection, just a relationship with Jesus is not enough. The second thing is relationships. I'll be honest with you. Relationships are a beautiful gift from God. I love my wife. I'm very, very glad that God put me with a woman that is completely out of my league. I'll be the first one to admit that. I love my wife. I love the relationship that we have. I love our family. So I'm not saying that relationships are a bad thing. But let me talk to the women real quick. You will never find a man who completes you. When you're going through storms and you're going through a rocky time and things are rough, if you are looking to your husband or your boyfriend or whatever it may be, he's not going to help you. He can give you advice. He may try to fix you. (laughs) He may listen to you. And at times he may help you and guide you. But in the end, he's not a rock. You know why? Because he's flawed, just like you. And he breaks down and he doesn't know what to do sometimes, just like you. So if we see him as God and, and, and he's the one that's supposed to come in and fix everything, then we, we find ourselves at a place where we're disappointed. Men, a woman is not going to satisfy what is already broken inside of you. A woman will not satisfy what is already broken inside of you. If you have a heart issue and you believe that by getting with a certain woman or marrying a certain woman or you have all these expectations and you think if she can just do these things, then you'll be satisfied or then you'll be happy or then you'll be fixed. It doesn't work that way. The thing that I've learned is when you stop worshiping people, you start worshiping Jesus. You stop using people and you start loving them. And that's, to highlight one, one example that I can think of is even in work, in your job. You know, God has put you in a very particular place for a reason. He puts you in a job or a work, in a workplace for a reason. And a lot, of peop- a lot of us find ourselves at the job that we're at to, and we're using the people that are above us to get to a certain place. We don't have a relationship with them. We don't care about their soul. We don't really love them. We just want to use them to get to where we want to be and ultimately ends up being very selfish. So relationships can be a barrier. If that husband or if that wife is your everything, then we know by circumstances and we know by things that come up what happens if they're gone. What happens if trials come up 
If Jesus is not everything, then you're crushed. The last one, the third one is success. Success. I mean, as human beings, we absolutely, we crave approval and acceptance, right? I mean, we want it, and at times we think we need it. Here's one thing that I've been realizing lately is a lot of you, and even at times, including myself, we work 80 hours a week killing ourselves. For what? For what? So we can be approved? So we can set ourselves up? So we can sacrifice our family on the altar of being successful? What we do does not determine who we are. Whose we are determines who we are. See, this is one thing that I have to constantly remind myself of. What more affirmation and acceptance do you need other than the cross of Christ? The fact that Jesus Christ sent his one and only son so that we could be accepted and approved. Regardless of stature, regardless of success, regardless of money, regardless of relationships. Because if we connect with Jesus and we have a relationship with Jesus, then in the end, that is all that we need. Money, relationships, and success, none of those things are wrong in and of themselves. I'm not saying that money is evil. I'm not saying that relationships are evil. I'm not saying that success is evil. But it becomes wrong when those good things become a God thing. When they begin to overwhelm you, when they begin to um, consume your thoughts and your passions and everything that you do, all your thoughts and everything that you are begins to turn towards, I have to make this kind of money, I have to have this kind of success, I have to be associated with these kind of people. Here's a thought. I don't think that Satan is ever going to get you to bow down and worship him, right? We're not going to stand up here on a Sunday or you're not going to get in, in a room by yourself and like literally bow down before Satan and worship him. Most of us probably wouldn't do that. But if he could get us to worship anything other than God, isn't that just as successful? That's just as successful. If your mind is constantly going toward, I need this much money, I need this relationship, I need this much success. Because God designed us to worship, those are the things that we are worshiping. When our mind is consumed with those things and nothing else, those are the things that we're worshiping. Some of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we've missed church, right? I mean, some of us, we miss it on a regular basis. We miss reading the Bible. We miss connecting with Jesus. But the sad part is a lot of us don't miss our favorite TV show on Friday. And hey, if you miss it, you can Hulu it or TiVo it, right? Do you, do you see what I'm talking about? Where our priorities land? The thing that we invest our time into, the thing that we give everything that we are, 
is what we worship. That is our God. We're always worshiping something. We are always drinking from a well. The question is, what is it? What is it? Because God designed us to be worshipers. So the truth is, we may not be worshiping him, but we're worshiping something. Worship is giving worth and value to someone or something. It's giving your heart, your priority to something or someone else above Jesus or to Jesus. How many of you guys are familiar with Exodus 20, 10 commandments? God gives all these commandments to Moses, writes it on a stone. Don't covet. Don't murder. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but the reason he kind of puts them in order. And the first one is what? You shall have no other gods before me. There's a reason for that. Because if we can get that one right, then all the other nine just kind of fall into place. They just kind of fall into place. Why? We serve a jealous God. We serve a God that wants your affection. We serve a God that wants your, your heart. He wants your passion. He wants your attention. He wants your time. He wants your devotion. That affection that you give that thing or that time that you pour those things into, he wants that. God longs to connect with you. Here's the irony in all of this is that Christ does not need us, but he wants us. We need Christ and oftentimes we don't want him. That's the irony, right? Because Jesus doesn't need us. He didn't create this world because he was lonely. He doesn't need us, but he wants us. We desperately need him, and at many times, we don't want him. We may not say that with our words, but our actions and our time and our passions prove it. I mean, personally, the biggest thing that robs my affections is just simply, um, let me put it this way. When I come home from work and it's a long day, the thing that robs my affections from Christ is me having this mindset that I've earned time by myself. And so I just want to sit down and I don't want to think about anything. Anything that requires me to think, I don't want to do it. So, you know, whether that's looking at Facebook or watching TV or whatever it is. And I find myself gravitating towards those things because I don't have to think about the state of my heart. I don't have to think about my relationship with my wife or my relationship with my kids. I don't have to think about any of those things because it doesn't require me to. The things that rob my affections are the things where I can just sit down and, like we would like to call it, just kind of veg out, right? But what is it in your life, if you are really honest with yourself, that takes priority over God? What is it that you spend infinitely more time, infinitely more money, and you give your heart, your whole life, it consumes you? What is the thing that robs your affections from Christ? What is the barrier that is constantly taking you from a place that is not allowing you to connect with Jesus? 
So let's find out um, what the woman at the well was worshiping. Verse 16. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have, what you have said is true. The woman said to him, and I always thought this was kind of funny, uh, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. So number two, the thing that keeps us from connecting with Christ, a barrier, is unrepentant sin. Unrepentant sin. In this culture, adultery was a capital offense, meaning that if you committed adultery, they would kill you. So she is in shame and she's hiding from a culture that views her as unclean, which is why she goes to the well at 12 o'clock in the scorching heat. Because she is full of guilt, she's full of shame, She has unrepentant sin that is keeping her from connecting with Jesus. Unrepentant and unconfessed sin will not separate you from Christ if you are saved, but it will greatly affect your ability to connect with Jesus. It's going to greatly affect your ability to connect with Jesus. Let's keep reading in verse 20. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain... But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And I love this. Jesus said to her, I am he. Worship is important because it's why you were created. God is seeking worshipers. It's why he gives us breath in our lungs. And and please hear me on this. It's much bigger than the songs that we sing. Worship is not singing songs. It's your life. It's your passion. It's your affections. It's your time. It's your money. It's your relationships. It's your success. That's worship. Because the way that you handle those things, the way that you treat those things is what you worship. Worship is our life. Connecting to Christ is where we want to remain. When we gather every single week corporately, what are we trying to do? What are we coming here to accomplish? We are worshipers who worship an audience of one. We worship an audience of one, Jesus. So when you come on Sunday, here's the crazy thing. You're not the audience. You're the choir. 
We're worshiping Jesus together. We're not the audience. You didn't, hear, you didn't come here to receive something from God, although you may and you will. We come here so that we can give back to Jesus. We come here because we worship him for who he is and what he's done for us. Oftentimes, the reason that people cannot connect with Christ is because, one, they think that church is all about them. They think that scripture is all about them. Scripture, it's for Jesus and who he is and what he's done. And once you get that, it begins to become alive to you. It's not that you open it up and you pick a place and you start to read and say, God, speak to me. Because it's not about that. It's you open it up and you begin to read because you understand what Jesus has done for you. And out of that joy and out of that grace and out of that mercy begins to flow this great want to want to know the God of the universe. To want to know what God has done for us. So we come to church not to get something, but we come to church because he's given everything to us. So the least that we could do is give absolutely everything to him. When you recognize that he and he alone is our audience, we come not to receive, but we come to give. First Peter, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it real quick. Chapter 2, verse 9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's why we come. We were created to bring God glory. God called us together as a church to come and worship him. As a people to worship him, not just with our songs, but with our life, with our time. So the question is this, we've listed all the barriers, all the things that keep us from connecting with Christ. So the question is, how do we connect with Christ? I think the first thing is you've got to recognize those barriers and you need to repent of them. We've got to come to a place, instead of just seeing our sin... And saying, yeah, I deal with that. We've got to come to a place where we're actively fighting against it. Because repentance is not just you going to Jesus and saying, God, I'm sorry for this. It's you going to Jesus, asking for forgiveness, and then living it out with your life. Saying, I've got to put up everything in front of me that is going to keep me from running to that again. John 15, you don't have to turn there says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy, and yes, your joy will overflow. I've told many people this, that you cannot say that you love Jesus if you don't obey him. Because it says, if you love me, you obey me. And now, now, why does he say that you obey me? Does he say that you obey me? You obey, I'm God, obey me. No. He says, when you obey me, you remain in my love. And out of that, you get to experience joy when you begin to obey me. And it's not out of this thing because you're submitting because you're so scared of this God that he could crush you. But it's an obedience out of a fact of this joy that begins to overwhelm you of who God is and what he's done. And that's why you obey him because you know that when you're with him, 
that he's constantly after your joy. That he's constantly after your joy, that he's saying, I'm going to place you in things, even though you may not understand why. And at the time you may not say, God, is this for my joy? But in the end, it is. Staying connected to Christ is simply responding to who God is and what he has done. So the question is this, who is God to you? Who is God to you? Is he precious? Is he holy? Is he worthy of your worship? And then here's another question that's just been pounding me the last week. Is he enough? I mean, let's just break that down for a second. Is Jesus in your life enough? Just Jesus. Just your connection and your relationship with Jesus. Is that truly enough for you? Or do you say, well, Jesus, yeah, he's enough, but I also need this. Well, Jesus, he's enough, but you know, I need my needs to be taken care of and I need a place. Is Jesus enough? We disconnect from a God that we are not in awe of. When he's not holy, when he's not worthy, when we're not worshiping him, there's a disconnection. Why? Because we're at the center. We're worshiping what we want to and not what we were designed and created to worship. If Jesus isn't the focus, if, it, if he's not the center, if he's not the filter for all the decisions that you make, if Jesus is not the focus and the center of your marriage, if he's not the focus and center of your relationship between you and your kids, then you find yourself on a path of just confusion. Of why isn't this working out? Why are we talking to each other like this? Why are we treating each other this way? Why are we saying these things? Because Jesus isn't the focus. What has God done for you? What has God done for you? He's saved you. He's redeemed you. He's forgiven you. He's poured grace out on you. And in response to what God has done for you, don't you just want to give him everything? And I want an honest answer because some of us can honestly say, no, I don't. I have things that I want to hold on to. I have things that I think that I need. And if that's the case, then you're drinking from a well that is not satisfying. You're drinking from a well that you're going to have to go back to every single day to be content. The, the thing about this is if you are not at a place where you understand that it's all about Jesus and you're not in awe of him for who he is and what he's done, you, your nature is just to constantly just find things to be approved by, to be accepted by. John Calvin once said, he said, our hearts are an idle factory. You know what a factory does? It just produces mass quantities of things. 
And that's kind of like how our hearts are. If it's not submitting to Christ, and if we're not under this awe and this reverence of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, that he sent his one and only son, then our hearts are just constantly producing wells and constantly producing things where we're going to have to go back and we need more. Isn't it just funny about, let's just take money. Like you're, you never have enough. I mean, at times when God has just greatly blessed me and I can see, and I'm like, man, this is just awesome. And it's still in the back of my mind. You're like, but if I had more, but if I had more, then I could do this. If I had more, well, then I could set my life up like this. See, there's, there's two wells. One is whatever we worship that is other than Jesus. And the crazy thing about that one is it owns you. It owns you. It takes you wherever it wants to take you. Whether that's worry, whether that's a craving to be in a relationship, it consumes you. And so ultimately, it's your God because it owns you. Or there's a living well. Jesus says, listen, I am living water. I'm something that once you taste of me, you'll, you'll never crave again. You'll be satisfied. We'll be satisfied. Obedience to Christ flows out of our joy. And our joy comes from the fact that we understand that at any point of time, that whether we were, we had unrepentant sin or we were at a place where we felt that we were unworthy, that our joy flows out of this thought and this fact that God in his mercy comes in and says, wherever you're at, whatever you're drinking from, whatever it is that you're not satisfied in, I'm living water. And so I come in regardless of the past, regardless of what's gone on, and I cleanse those things. I mean, you imagine it. The woman at the well, she was hiding everything. She was so ashamed. She felt so dirty and so unclean. And Jesus mentions nothing about it other than the fact that he says, okay, you had five husbands and the one you're with is not your husband. He mentions it and he moves on. He mentions it and says, I'm living water. He doesn't mention it and say, man, what were you thinking when you did that? I I just, the first one wasn't good enough, so you had to try four more. (laughs) And then the first five weren't good enough, so now you're with another one. Like he doesn't beat her up about the past. I mean, we can, we can apply that to anything. Oh, you've made some financial mistakes and now you're going to make some more. Oh, you've treated your wife like this, so that's just how you're going to do it the rest of your life? The thing that is so appealing and attractive to me about the gospel is the fact that Jesus just comes on the scene. He calls your sin for what it is. He says, you're an adulterer. Deal with it. Let's just recognize it, repent of it, and oh, by the way, I'm living water. By the way, I'm what you need. He doesn't focus on the past. He's not spending time on it. And he's not beating you over the head about it. It says he's seeking worshipers in spirit and in truth. 
And that truth part is so important because you've got to come to him and you have to come to a place where there is no unrepentant sin in your life. And you say, God, anything that I need to let go of, anything that I need to confess, anything that I need to do, I am willing to do it because I want to connect with you. Most of the time, the only thing that you have to lose when you have to humble yourself is your own pride. It's really the only thing you have to lose. So we wrap it up with this. A heart for God's house begins with having a heart to connect with God. You can't have a heart for God's people and God's house if you don't have a heart to connect with Jesus. To worship him for who he is and what he has done. And I'm going to say it again. If you take away anything that I said this morning, take this away. In the end, is Jesus enough? When you look at your life right now, you evaluate your relationship, your marriage, your finances, your relationships, your money, all of it. When you look at all of it, is Jesus enough in the midst of all of that? Is he? Is he enough regardless of the status that you have at your job? Is he enough regardless of the fact that you're saying, God, am I going to just raise kids the rest of my life? Is he enough? Is Jesus enough? And I'm telling you, when you begin to evaluate everything that you have under that simple phrase, is Jesus enough? There are so many things that begin to come to the surface. So I want to end with this. And when you leave here this morning and you go back to it is, whatever you do, that there would be this constant thought on your mind that God is seeking people that worship him. God is seeking worshipers. And to be honest with you, when it comes down to it, the decisions that you make and the things that you are serving other than Jesus, you have to understand this. They will pass and they will burn up one day. And ultimately they don't matter. They're not eternal. That house that you have, it doesn't matter. That car that you drive, Every time I go to Baton Rouge, I see where every car ends up. You know, you look over the bridge and you see this massive mound of just crushed cars. Well, there's my car that I literally just spent half of my life paying off. It's not eternal. So in the end, Jesus has to be enough. Because he's the only thing that we got. He's the only thing that we get to keep. So keep this thought with you. Is Jesus enough? In your life, where you're at, is he enough? Are the things in your life that are keeping you from connecting with Christ? If there are, you're drinking from the the wrong well. Or you have unrepentant sin. And the crazy thing about all of that, even if you find yourself in that position... That when we turn our affections and we turn our heart to Jesus, he accepts us exactly where we're at. And we begin to come to a place where we're in awe with him and we're able to connect with Jesus.